Hello and welcome to Michael and Mom Talk Cancer. I am your official host, Michael Kramer, and... <laughs> and I am Michael's official mom, Ashley Kramer. And Michael, we need your adjectives today. We have an amazing, inspiring, and beautiful person here with us today. Beautiful. That we met at CancerCon, and we are so excited to share his really moving and powerful story with you guys today. Yes, JJ Singleton, we like Welcome to the podcast. so honored that you agreed to be here because we're fans. We met you at CancerCon and we are huge fans of yours. Hi. I appreciate it and it's an honor to be here with y'all too and it was such a great time at CancerCon and meeting y'all and hearing y'all speak too. Thank, Thank you. you. How old are you? How, how old are you? Because we're pretty open about our age right here unless you yeah. don't want to answer that. I'm a, I'm 35 right now. September 25th I will turn 36. <gasps> Wait, what is your sign? Libra. Yeah, like my other son, like his big brother. Libra is a good sign. I <laughs> I didn't realize that about you. Okay. Yep. 35. I discovered something today. We were just talking about it before we started recording. Today is like, I don't want to say you're celebrating eight years because that yeah, sounds well, pretty bad. But yeah. today is the eight year cancer anniversary. I don't know what you want to call it. Anniversary, you know, kind of that watershed moment in my life. Eight years ago today, on September 4th of 2015 is when I got diagnosed with cancer. <sighs> Eight years. Wow. We've, eight years. We've been in it with Michael for, for over three. For over three. And it feels like more than eight years. Like hundred. That's why I was, <laughs> sometimes it feels like it's many, many lifetimes. And then other yes. times I can remember my life before cancer. Me like too. Me day. too. That's so true. That is so true. Okay. Do you want to like, how do you feel about just kind of diving in and yeah. and sharing your story? We have some questions for you, okay. but I think that you can tell it best. Do you want to share yeah, a little? Totally. Yeah. As I said, eight years ago, I went into the doctor and he immediately, like, it was the quickest doctor appointment I've ever had because I'd ignored my symptoms all summer long. So by the time I walked into my doctor, I could pull my shirt up against my stomach and you could see the tumor in my abdomen. Oh my robbing. God. But oh my God. Kind of leading up to that in 2015, I, you know, I got a promotion at my job. I was able to go work out at lunchtime and get kind of back in shape because I was a college football player. Then after oh. I got hurt doing that, I let my body go. I weighed like 315 pounds. Oh, what? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, you know, I. I was sick of being in the weight room cause if I didn't have something to work forward, work towards, as in, you know, a football season. So I I enjoyed the next couple of years of college life, partied a little too much, ate mm. horrible, didn't work out. And it okay. just, you know, I woke up one morning and I was like, I got to change this. So started working out, did CrossFit. And around Memorial Day of 2015 is when I first felt a throbbing in my abdomen. But typical guy. I was like, you know, had it strain muscle, pull the muscle, doing a ab workout or, you know, something. I had a CrossFit competition on August 1st. I was like, let me get through that, and then I'll take some time off and see if it'll heal. Okay. Over the summer, it got progressively worse, and I kept making excuses in my head, an ulcer, something like this. I would lay in bed and read or research, like, my symptoms, and at the bottom was always colorectal cancer. <gasps> I was like, no, that's my grandpa's disease. Yeah. I, I can't have cancer. I don't know anybody really that has cancer or anything. Yeah, because you were, okay, you were 27. Yeah, I was, yeah. you know, that. And two, by that point in my job, I was choosing not to get health insurance because I was like, I'm 27. I'm, I don't want 
four or five hundred dollars coming out of my paycheck. <sighs> yeah. For one year doctor, one time exactly. year doctor appointment. I was like, I'm not going to go to the doctor voluntarily and have to fork out that much money. I feel but, you uh, on that. Yeah, it's been there. It's crazy. Yeah. It's it was just a bunch of things like that. And then after I did that CrossFit competition, my body just crashed. I couldn't eat, couldn't use the bathroom. I had like a acid reflux constantly. I would get so dehydrated. It's the middle of August, and I'd be sitting in my car with my heater on because I'd be shivering so bad. And I, I still had that too. And I probably wouldn't have went. And my mom made me. She's like, "You're turning gray. You've lost much more weight than you've ever lost on your diet before. You're going to the doctor." And then it kind of was today, eight years ago, went straight to the CT scan with like a huge mass in there. And as soon as they said that, everything lined up in my head, the symptoms, what I was going mm-hmm. through. And I was like, it was cancer before they ever even needed to get a biopsy back to me. And then, yeah. you know, after the Labor Day holiday, went colonoscopy, biopsy, surgery within a week. And that kind of started my whole eight year thing that we're here to. So... I know that you went through it and then I think you went into remission and then you relapsed. Is that Very, correct? I was never actually told remission because I okay. ended chemo. I didn't even get to my like three month scan. Six weeks later, I had a colonoscopy and it was, my colon was clean. But right. like a day later, I was laying in bed and felt that same throbbing start in my abdomen again. And this oh. time I was at the doctor's office at like 6 a.m. waiting on them to pull in <laughs> and my surgeon's. Yeah. And he looked at it and he was like, all right, you, we're sending you back down to do, because at this time I'd already known I had Lynch syndrome, which was a, the genetic mutation that caused me to have mm-hmm. colon cancer so young. I was going to ask you that if there was a history or if yeah. there's genetics, because you, you were so young and. Yeah. I'm a complicated story there too, because of the area I live in and like the past of my, that side of my family, they didn't go to doctors and there was people that died young, but they were just like, that was God's will. And, you know, they were too poor to go and get an autopsy or figure out why they were just like, it's supposed to happen, bury them. And, you know, that was kind of how life went. Okay. Where are you from? Why don't you tell everyone where you're from? I remember from your story before, but why don't Uh, you tell everyone? Most people have heard of Asheville, North Carolina and the mountains. I'm about 25 minutes west of there in a super small town called Canton, North Carolina. Appalachian Mountains, as you can tell by the accent. (laughs) I love the accent. So do I. It's amazing. But my mom's parents are actually from Miami. No way. Yeah, my mom lived in uh, Fort Lauderdale till she was like in first grade and they moved up here. But my grandparents uh, graduated from Miami High School. No oh, cool. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay, well, we have another link. We have the Miami link, too. And no one's really from Miami. I mean, <laughs> neither one of us was born here. Well, your sister was born True. here. Wow. Okay, so you're in a small town. It's like so complicated. So, all right, go back to continue your story. You went back, you finished chemo, and then you said you felt like I felt the throbbing back in, and I knew. How much longer? What? Like how? How long? Tre- how was, long did you do treatment for? It was a uh, twelve rounds every two weeks, so it was about okay. six months worth. I started in November after I healed up because okay, I found out on the verse. You know, I had the colon resection that my body did not like surgeries because. It was supposed to be a five-day hospital stay. I was there for 15 because they had to do another surgery just because my body kept having weird issues pop up. And that's happened multiple times, but that was the first thing of it. So it was from November to April where I was on the the first-line chemo for colorectal cancer. 
Okay. And then it was about April 20th. It ended, and I felt the throbbing. It was toward the end of May. So it was about six weeks, and then went to Duke, biopsies, scans, blood work, all that. And it found out that the cancer had came back. But instead of my colon, it was colorectal cancer, but it spread to my abdominal wall and my lymph nodes throughout my body, which is okay. kind of normal in the mutations that I have in my cancer, but it made it harder because there's no solid organ for them to cut the cancer out. Like most colorectal cancer goes to like the liver, the lungs, where they can, you know, if they catch it soon enough, they can cut that part out. And then you'll do some chemo, clean up chemo, and hopefully, you know, your NED or remission. But right. mine is just floating around the abdominal wall. And it's a non-solid tumor. So, like, if they went in there to even try to, like, biopsy it and stuff, it just kind of disseminates through my abdominal wall. So, Oh, my God. So who was taking care of you in this whole that, time, or were you alone? That was my well, question, because your age, you. Were you, you were living at, yeah. not living at home. I was living, I mean, I live in a small area, so I was living in a double-wide trailer with a, a brother and a best friend, and when I got okay. sick. But then I knew, because they were about five years younger than me, they were still living life, having fun. So I went and moved yeah. into my uncle's basement apartment. And he lives up this road where my whole dad's side of the family lives. My dad, my grandparents, and my other uncles. And it's only like five minutes away from my mom's house and my stepdad. We all live in okay. you know, within about 10 minutes of each other. Okay. So they were there, but it was, it was tough for them because they had never really took care of anybody with, you know, cancer and especially like colorectal cancer and all the impacts that it brought physically and mentally. And so I, I tried to shoulder a lot of it myself at that time. I got that feeling. Yeah. I and got that feeling. Looking back on it now, eight years, there was a lot of trial and a lot of error on my part those first couple of years. But you just, you don't know and you think you know and you think you know the right way to do it. And you don't until you find out that that's not the way to do it. So you went into therapy though, right? Therapy saved my life. When did you go into therapy? Like, curious, oh, yeah. like, when did you start therapy? Like, how many years after your diagnosis it or how many a, months was it? It was a, toward the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, because when the cancer okay. came back, it was growing. I was, I went through three different chemo cocktails that all failed. It was a, and it ended up growing around my stomach to where anything I ate would just sit in my stomach until I threw it up. So I was oh, my God. oh my God. 2 p.m., the total nutrition, like, it's a big bag of food that, you know, you get infused. Yeah, in. I've had, I had it for a while. You've yeah, been I'll, on it many times, and yeah. it smells so delicious, doesn't it? That was awful. They, they put the white, the lipids in there and all that. Oh, the lipids are horrible. Yeah, I was, oh I was on that for 450 days. Like 14 oh, my God. It was, uh, wow. 450 and, days of being on IV nutrition. So, you know, it was like a 15-hour infusion with the big bag. So I was laid yeah. there. But I also had drainage bags from my intestine and my uh, the colon part I had left. So there's wow. two big drainage bags. I had PCA pain pump. So I had so much going on. I pretty much laid in bed about 23 hours a day for the time. And I got into such a dark place where to get me over the stigma in my head, you know, where I live and how I grew up and just that we live in a mill town. My grandparents were farmers and stuff. Athlete. Didn't think I ever needed you know, mental health or therapy. Right. I was, I scared myself enough to how dark my thoughts were getting to, you know, coming close to committing suicide. I made myself reach out because I didn't want 
my grandma or my uncle or my mom to come in and find what I was thinking about doing. So that's how I got into therapy. But it took me close to, you know, two and a half, three years to get over that stigma in my mind for it. Yeah, that's huge. But yeah. wait, I, we definitely want to get into mental health, yeah. but I want to ask you another. So at that point, mm-hmm. were you outpatient or were you outpatient? Like, were you having TPN? And I was having TPN at my house. Uh, you were having everything at home. I had a home health nurse that came twice a week there. Are you still yeah. living in your uncle's basement at this point? At this time I was. And luckily my uncle, my aunt, and my mom that lived close enough, they would come and help do the whole, like, bag of stuff because yeah. the neuropathy in my hands from chemo i couldn't get the needle into there to shoot the lipids into that or the vitamins that would go into the and then the connections like if i tried to do them it would always just mess up they'd start leaking everywhere and if they leak you know because it was going into my port had to go to the hospital make sure there was no infection nothing there luckily they did all that for me every afternoon the home health nurse would come and clean because I had the drainage bags coming out of my stomach. So they would clean the open kind of wounds and change that, refill my pain medicine. Luckily, they were able to do that. And I didn't have to live in the hospital. Yeah, but still. Yeah, it was living living in in a hospital bed in the basement. But I still the only time I really left the house that 14 months was because I was still on chemo treatments and the doctor appointments. Oh, my God, JJ. Crazy, wow. Yeah. That's, that, I'm just that processing like the all of this. Ever got. Like, it was like, is going through all this really worth it? To live this life, to just lay here in bed. And the weird part of it that people, I can kind of laugh about now because I can eat now. The only thing I ever was able to like, want to watch on TV was travel channel and food shows, even though I couldn't. <gasps> it was so weird, and I still have no explanation why. But that was the only thing I ever wanted to watch on TV. So I watched pretty much every show on the travel channel and food network you could think of okay that's funny and you can laugh that now but yeah. sometimes like michael has an app on his phone that is the waves like he can see the waves everywhere <laughs> and he watches youtube videos about surfing all the time and he can't surf and i'm like does that torture you or does that bring you pleasure and i think it's i don't know i like it you know i think it's both i think it's a little it like floats that line some days you you know it kind of was like yeah this is what i want to be i want to eat this but other days i'm like ah it kind of brings back the memories of the joy that yeah exactly oh my god so so what happened? What happened that like, changed? How did you get out of that? How, that's what uh, I was going to say. I've seen you at cancer. Concert. We yeah. saw you in, yeah, in person. You're gorgeous. You look great. People that people that are can't see yeah. this that are listening. You're during that time. I started a clinical trial drug, which saved my life. It struck the cancer enough, but I'm one of the weird patients where it, it didn't, you know, kill it, but it keeps it from spreading. So I'm still on it today. But it shrank it enough to where my surgeon, who was amazing, was able to go in, cut a lot of stuff out, reroute my kind of intestines and have a stomach kind of together and connected at different spots to allow me to eat. And that's when I started, you know, being able to get a little bit of a life back and uh, gain a little bit of weight and start, you know, being able to go out on my own because the drainage bags were gone after that. I was able to get off the PCA pump because he took the part of the cancer that was pushing on the nerve endings near my spine wasn't ever in my spine but it just like kind of killed some nerve endings around my spine which was causing immense pain and that kind of allowed me to start 
the process of getting the life back. When, so when was that? That was January of 2018. Okay. I the January. I was on that TPN from November of 2016 to January of 2018. Oh my God. That is crazy. So 2017 was that year that I just kind of like block it out unless I try to think about it just because it was, it was I don't blame you. The fact that you continued, that you did push through is just, to me, that's remarkable. Yeah, like I, I don't know how I did it. Looking back, people have asked me, and I've tried to even like talk or write about it. And I think it just was—I don't, I don't even know—just something in my mind was like, okay, because during that year I turned thirty, and that was like when I got diagnosed, and you know the cancer came back. I was like, let me hit thirty. After that, everything's just you know however long I go. But then when I was in there and I started going to the therapy and stuff, I was like, all right, can I get through this? I did, and then it just kind of. Little blocks, little steps, a lot of falling in between there, here and then, but yeah. Oh my God, but you're such an, so, so that turning point to like see a therapist, that yep. was during. That was during, and luckily, uh, my old oncologist who retired last year, he set me up with a therapist who specialized in cancer, but she had took maternity leave and never came back full time. She still had her license. And he got me in to see her so we could, it was like random times when she would be up nursing her kid. It'd be like 11 o'clock. We'd get on like a Zoom meeting because I could never Uh sleep with that pump going all the time. And that was just like the start of it. The start of like getting help and working through all the things that were causing my mind to go to the places it was going and seeing that there could be a lot. Not even seeing a lot yet, just the, the possibility of one. You are a light. Yeah, you are like, I mean, I feel like Michael was he was like for five months in the hospital and there was TPM all most of that time. But a year, 14 months, that's that's ridiculous. The worst part was the two Christmas and Thanksgivings because I could (sighs) there the family got together. So I made myself get out of bed and walk with my drainage bags down to my grandparents house and just smelling the food and seeing people eat it. I was just like. This is like living hell right here. But look who you are. So look who you are now. So the reason we met you is because we went to a session at CancerCon that was Mm -hmm. kind of talking about cowboy culture and about, in particular, men opening up. And it is, I don't like to say it's easier for women, but it is. It's our culture. Like where we do open up more. So do you want to talk a little bit about when did that Mm -hmm kind of come into play oh, yeah. for you because yeah. you're amazing like we've seen you on instagram and social media and you just give so much um well i appreciate it and that joining that group man up to cancer was kind of the uh linchpin that started this whole new life okay and that was around july of 2020 so from 2018 to then i was still meeting my therapist but i still wasn't a part of any support groups or organization advocacy groups just because i had never found one that fit and i didn't like how a lot of it was just like treatment based all the time because i was like i get that at doctors yeah i'm confused enough for the two hours i'm sitting there with my doctor i don't want to go home and first thing i see on facebook or something is more people talking about that yeah but i'd let some people and organizations share like a post i would make because by that time i'd started writing the guy who was there, who wasn't part of the speaker, Joe Bullock from North Carolina, too, he asked me if I wanted to join this kind of newer man's group. And in my mind, I was like, 
I'll say yes, be nice. A couple of days, I'll probably leave and, you know, just go on about my life like I have been. But as soon as I got in there, it changed everything. Just the support and the openness and freedom that men had in a closed group where they weren't going to be judged. Didn't have to live up to that culture that society has put on men. Was so uh, refreshing and welcoming. And then there was a couple of people in there that just gave me the confidence that my story mattered. Because at that time, I was like, I'm the guy from a small town who, you know, made a lot of mistakes in life. Who's going to want to hear my story and what I've been through? And they gave me the confidence to start. And ever since then, like, joined the other advocacy organizations in the colon cancer world. And I've changed my life completely. Three years ago, I would never have dreamed of even doing this or going anywhere to speak. And now that group has just continued to grow, and I'm just one of many people that have similar stories. Well, I don't know. One of many. You're very unique. But I'm just intrigued to ask you this. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, please. What is your life like now? Like, what do you have planned this week? Like, what does a normal week look like for you now? Because I know you're still on treatment. Yeah. And I know you also travel and you speak and you do a lot of that. very different because Wednesday I'll be actually flying to Buffalo and the Man Up to Cancer, we're having our second annual retreat. And there's going to be 120 guys from all Uh, over America, Canada, and even a guy from Belgium coming there from Thursday to Sunday. And it's a rent out of campground. People, uh, companies, they donate to supply the food, drinks, everything. And it's just a... Kind of what we were talking about, you were in that session and just men being free and able to talk about it and having groups and other people there to support. It's just like that, except bigger and with guys who have been doing it online for years now. But a normal week, I have a lot of doctor's appointments. And uh, over the eight years, I've learned to listen to my body. So I know when I can like travel or I know how to prepare myself for that now. Because uh, I know I got to rest. I know what I can eat. Whenever I feel tired, I'm going to go take a nap. Yeah. Power naps yeah. are like the best thing in the world. Like I can get 30, 45 minutes and then I'll be good for, you know, a couple hours. And I'm at that point where I can't tell a difference if I sleep 45 minutes or I sleep four hours. Have you been able to like, I don't know, to get a job, to go back to that kind of life? Uh, or no, I, mean, no, I feel like your treatment is still full time. Yeah, it's full time. I have treatment every 21 days and it it puts me down every third week i'm pretty much useless from monday to friday because i have every monday morning and even after that i've had so many surgeries like some days i wake up and i just know it's going to be a rough day and i'm going to live in the bathroom because i have a foot of my colon left so anything i eat it just it goes through me really quick and some days i feel like i could totally go and have a part-time job right now i wake up the next day and I spend, you know, five of the 12 hours I'm awake sitting in the bathroom. And I'm like, you know, I couldn't work enough to support my life or, you know, pay my bills or stuff if I had a job. So it's a, I'm very lucky when I, the cancer came back with the diagnosis of, you know, incurable terminal. They're like, I'm approved with disability that helps and pays my bills. So I know I, I didn't have to go through a lot of the hoops that I've heard other people have to just because it was right. so quick. And I have an amazing mom who did all my paperwork while I was in, you know, chemo chairs or in hospital beds and stuff. I live very close. I live a couple miles away. Uh, After I was able to start eating again, I needed a place to where I could just go and like shut myself away from the world. And there's an apartment complex and they have a government program called HUD housing. So uh, 
my rent is a lot cheaper. It's based on my disability. So it's I'm able to pay it, pay my bills and not be completely broke through, you know, the government programs and stuff. But it's a uh, Okay. It's made a big difference just being able to not have to deal with the outside world on those treatment days and those days I know things are just rough to where I can kind of go in here and be in my own space. Yeah. I and it makes me feel like I'm kind of an adult, you know, I didn't want to be like 35, 36, still living there. I mean, I know I would have a totally good excuse to, but just mentally feeling like, all right, at least I do have a little bit of independence. And Yeah. Oh my God. We feel you. Like I know Michael still struggles. I mean, he's 22, but I know he struggles sometimes with the fact he's not able to go to school, get a job. And I'm like, don't worry right now. Your full-time job is is dealing with this and doctors four to five days a week. I feel you. And I, I, I'm glad you're an example for him that you are a beautiful human sharing your purpose and your life, and you're doing that too. But I know that sometimes there's that feeling of, oh, I should be doing more because of oh, yeah. society. And-, and seeing all the friends and stuff that I have, like going out, and you know, most of mine now, they're married kids. Yeah. New jobs. Like I remember when I got sick, they were doing something, and now they've got promotions and doing something totally different. And I'm like, I'm still here, you know. But, yeah, but you've been through. They all tell me that too. And most days, I totally get that. But then there's those days where I'm just like, yeah, but, you know, we all have them. It's unfortunate, but they happen. Of course. I know that Michael has those exact same struggles. So is Man Up to Cancer, is it a Facebook group? There's like three main parts. Uh, Okay. The Facebook group kind of grew unexpectedly, and that's like a huge part of it now. But there's a website. Okay. uh, Trevor, who was there. When he's feeling good, you know, recovered from different operations or something, he usually hosts a podcast. I think he has like 50-some episodes he's put out. Okay. Then uh, they do these chemo backpack programs for men. Like once they join the men up to cancer and they're starting or they're in treatment, they'll send them a book bag with a bunch of stuff that helps during chemo. And then our little gathering. If you go on and just uh, search that website, there'll be a, le- a link. And if you're a man, you could go there. You answer a few questions to make sure you do have cancer and you are or identify as a man or a caregiver who's through like your wife or a kid or somebody through cancer. And then you're into the private Facebook group. And it's an amazing place. And it's uh, people without cancer probably would totally not get it. <laughs> yeah. I realize as cancer patients, we can have a very dark sense of humor that the outside world does not understand. That is true. That's, yeah, That is true. No, it's just a random Wednesday with that those kind of jokes or memes or something that society would look at you like you need to be institutional. <laughs> it's true. That is our joke. I mean, I know a lot of cancer, I want to say patients, survivors, caregivers agree. It's like the club that you don't want to belong to. But when you're in that club, it's like the it's, best damn club ever. Yeah. I've, just uh, like met, yeah. met some truly amazing people. Uh, yeah. Randomly met one of the probably two or three best friends I've ever had in my life through cancer and through social media. Lived in Arizona and I live in North Carolina and that we're best friends. It's crazy. You know, through this. So. Yeah, we definitely relate to that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think he's going to have to be on your next retreat next year. Yeah. Is it like once a year that you're actually getting together in person? Last year and this year, it's been right around the Labor Day because last year was a little, a few days later, but it's always right around this time. Usually they'll start, like if you're in that Facebook group, they'll start doing the registration like beginning of March. And uh, And do you guys have like live chats? Yeah. I had a feeling. 
over the past year, they start doing these like chapters. So it's like you're in Miami. There's a South Florida chapter. So everybody in that group that lives like in a certain area. Okay. In my North Carolina group, like we have a Facebook like chat where you can talk. Every once in a while, we'll have a Zoom meeting. And then okay. twice a month, there's a whole page wide Zoom meeting. Sometimes there's 20 people on there. Sometimes there's 100 people on there. And you can just talk and and then randomly, there'll be like random meetups. Like when we were in Atlanta that Saturday, we went down the road out to eat and there was like five people from around the Atlanta area that came out and we nice. had dinner and stuff. So nice. a lot of community and a lot of just options for support. So I want to ask you about the Darth Vader. Yeah. I wanted to on ask your, this question. On your Starry Night <laughs> painting. I know. Oh, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge nerd. I'm a, Star Me too. Wars, Lord of the Rings, You're talking Potter. to the biggest like, nerd. I'm the biggest nerd ever. Ever. Star Wars. Like, I mean, as you can tell, like my arm has like Lord of the Rings, uh, Star Wars. That's and, uh, so cool. I found like I've always been a Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, but I, I got into Star Wars actually during that month. I was on TPM. And it, it was that first thing that allowed me a little bit of an escape during that. I would watch the movies or the cartoon shows, and and then I got into reading the books randomly one of the authors who writes some of the new books followed me on instagram and now i have a droid in one of her novels named after my instagram account no, no way. way that's so cool lj5145 oh that's amazing yeah, that, that, don't know much that can beat that that's yeah michael is a well it started from his mom but i love star wars and then he is like a huge star wars nerd and when i saw your facebook page i was like oh my god michael look at his facebook page we have to ask about this there's like the van gogh and then there's darth vader yeah that, that was uh, my grandma randomly got that off one of those uh websites or something she was like scrolling through and she's like i had to get it for you so I know that with your family and your your dad and that culture, it's been it's a very close mm -hmm. what we've been talking about. It's really hard to communicate and talk. But has it changed since you have opened up? Has your family opened up or is this more just you personally? Like, do you feel your family has followed suit a little bit or is it I your own a personal? Bit, a little bit of both. Like they are definitely more aware, more opened up to, you know, talking and what me or other people are going through and the effects that it can have like mentally and emotionally on you. And they're more conscious about their health. Like most of them will go to doctors. I still, one of my brothers still, we have to like shame them into going to get his colonoscopy and stuff there, but it it's definitely improved, but they're still just, they support me fully, but sometimes it feels like they don't really still understand why I have to do so much about mental health and be so open about things that a lot of people feel should be private. Right. There. So, uh, you know, it's ongoing, but it's generations of not talking about it. You know, all of a sudden I just one day changed when I started being like, yep. It's it's instilled. It's in the culture. And yep. it, it's not, it doesn't happen for people overnight, except that you had this huge revelation because of everything yep. you've been through. I mean, you're looking death in the face. That's the thing about cancer is that we all know we're going to die, but cancer makes it like... It's right there. Like, that's like when I like I did a video for this YouTube company there about like living with a terminal illness and people would comment when I'd share it. Like not people I knew, just random people would be like, we're all dying. Everybody's dying someday. I'm like, yeah, but you don't have to like wake up and that's not the first thought on your mind. You're not looking at it. I can't it. believe someone would comment that. I know. I can't believe someone would comment that either. But that's horrible. It's totally different when you have to get up and you're going to doctor appointments and hearing those people talk about it or I tell a story about, you know, this 
clinical trial saved my life, but I had to fill out hundreds of pages and stuff, and everything at the bottom was like, oh, and this could kill you, and this could result in death and stuff. And yes. After a while, I get numb to it, and then I look over at my mom who's doing it there, and it's just like, can't believe that you got to sign a wave to all those things. Oh. Um, you know, it's... I remember when we talk about our story when Michael went in for radiation before his bone marrow transplant and all the things that the doctor said to him about the side effects, the long-term effects, this can happen, that, and the yeah. bone marrow transplant, like, you just, like, it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. Yeah. And yeah. every single medication, every single one that he's still on, which is a long list, I'm sure it's the same for yeah. you, it's the same thing. They all have all of those disclaimers, by the way. I, I yeah. laugh when I'm at when I'm at treatment, they come in with the bag and they're in the gown and the gloves and wearing the mask and I put know. It in a plastic box and I'm like, Is that stuff really safe to be going inside like right to my heart? I'm just like, Yeah. You you wanna like hold it with your bare hands so I can make sure? We just had that conversation about echolizumab, about one of the medications that Michael was on for an infusion that he was on for a while. And the doctor was like, you know that it's completely toxic, like telling us we're talking about it now. And we're like, yeah, but he needed it and yeah, still like, here. You're but it's- a little warning thing at the infusion center. And they're like, if the bag breaks, special soap, wash your hands, stuff. And like, that stuff's going inside of me right now. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. It's but- very insane. What what did you do before this? What was I, your... Um, I got a college degree in uh, history and political science, but uh, never used it. After college, I, I worked for my uncle who owned a bunch of convenience stores, hardware stores, okay. car washes. And I, I worked for there because he was always working with my school schedule or sports schedule. And then after I graduated, he offered me a job working in the office. And I worked okay. my way up to operations manager of his whole company. Wow. Did, okay. did a lot with underground tanks for at gas stations. And I was uh, a lot with compliance with state regulations and how they worked and uh, inspections and then price points with the uh, stores. Very boring okay. talking about it, but I was good at it. Well, we, we can tell you're smart because I've, I've read some of your blogs. So I know you're a very smart guy. Mm-hmm. I can't, I still can't picture you over three hundred pounds. Though. I know. Me neither. I'm still like when you said that, I was like, "What?" I know you were a football player, well, but that I, was a totally different way. But if you totally. go back on my Instagram, and I usually post the same pictures around like January fourth, because around that day of 2015 is when I first went to start working out again. Okay, you can see pictures of me being like three hundred pounds. Very I can't different. imagine it. I can't imagine. I mean, we look at pictures of Michael before cancer and it was kind of the opposite. He was like really muscular and fit yeah. and tanned and blonde. Mm-hmm. And then now so you're I was skinny. Like, I went 315 and then August 1st when I did the CrossFit competition, I was around 240 and I looked like muscular again. Wow. So then two months after that, I was 180 pounds. Wow. Yeah. I went from 315 January to 180 in October. But you look like you, I don't know, you look like you work out. Are you able to work out or not at all? It's just you're built great. That is some good genetics and a <laughs> big dose of steroids every three weeks. Okay. Like yeah. a little bit of resistance, like stuff to work. Because I have a lot of bone and joint pain. And my therapy yeah, me too. very yeah. light resistance bands to just do like arm stretches and stuff. It's helped my joints. <laughs> They're like, well, you got so much steroids going in. Even a little bit of work is going to make it look like you're working out. That's good. The steroids uh, messed him up. Yeah, I, I hate steroids. Like, after yeah. chemo, it's like 
two totally opposite ends of the spectrum. So steroids keep me up and make my mind go a million miles an hour, yet I'm so tired I can't get up and go to the bathroom. Yeah. And I'm yeah. just like laying there in the middle of the night. This is like living hell right here. Can't sleep. It's the worst. Want to go to bed. Want to just sleep. The steroids suck, yeah. Away. Is it prednisone? Uh, yeah, prednisone straight into the port. Yep. I, uh, they, they upped my dosage about a year ago because – I was having to get iron infusions and my blood, my blood, the cells weren't accepting the treatment as good. So they're like, we're going to up the dosage by half. And that's maybe not have iron infusions in a year, but it's made me have to be like, Ugh. oh my God. I... So, and the, the cravings when I'm sick, that's like the worst thing. Like I'm throwing up for, you know, 12 hours straight, except I'm craving to eat everything in the house. Yes. Yeah. Oh but that's my... definitely how steroids go. I don't want to ask, but like, how are you doing? Like, okay, uh, I, I got a lot of stuff coming up. Uh, right after Cancer Con the next week, I went, I had a, uh, had to go to a pulmonologist, do some breathing tests, and uh, now I got a bronchoscopy coming up because they don't, I do have like nodules of cancer in my lungs, but they're so slow growing, they don't think that's causing the issues and they're got to mark out infections or lung disease, all those different options. So I got that. And then I get my three month scans here. Pretty much the day I get back from Buffalo, September 11th, I'll be seven o'clock that morning going to get a MRI and CT scan and all that good stuff to see if the treatment's still working. But mine usually I'll have spots pop up in different areas in my abdomen and they'll adjust a treatment or add a little bit of up the dosage of drugs. And so far, the last couple of years, that's worked. At some point, you know, it's not going to work and I'll have to go to a different drug. But we will face that bridge when it comes to yeah, it. Yeah. I'm enjoying kind of treatments. Yeah. Chemo suck, but I've learned to kind of adjust my life to it. So I really try to enjoy the good days during those two weeks in between. Luckily, I'm on 21 days, so it's every three weeks now, but... It, oh my god! But you're you're you are a light. So I, you know, I see this with Michael. Like I live with him. I'm with him. I'm I'm his caregiver, and people see him as this big positive light. But I also see him when he has. Of course, you have to have dark moments. Everyone does. I'm sure you do too. Michael will be like, okay, like he has a therapist, and um, yeah. he's like, you know what? I haven't talked to her in a few weeks. I need to talk to her. Yeah. Is that still? Do you have an ongoing? I know you also have yeah. man up to cancer, but but uh, I. Man Up to Cancer is really great, but I, I feel a lot of times I'm there and I want to help people. And right, right. I see people just joining and they're just starting in the fight. And I'm like, I never want them to get as bad as I was. So I, right. but I, I have an appointment every two weeks with my therapist. One is more focused on like me and the kind of dialogue in my head to keep me from going down those spirals. And then I have a lot of PTSD from all the trauma and stuff. So one, like, focused on triggers and how to deal with that part. So random times, I'll wake up and my bed will be completely soaking wet with sweat. And I feel like I could still feel the tubes coming out of my abdomen and the pain pumps and everything. And I, like, freak out thinking I ripped them out. And that causes me mm-hmm. to, like, be in just such a weird place for a couple of days. So I try every two to three weeks have, like, an appointment and just talk about, you know, smells that cause me to go back to the hospital like in my yeah. mind triggers the triggers are so real yeah the triggers yeah. are totally relate to that yeah I was, I was walking through the grocery store the other day and somebody had broke something or spilled and they used some kind of cleaner and it smelled just like going into the operating room and i was just oh. like sitting there like hair stood up all like on my arms and stuff i was like oh, gotta get out of here yeah that just happened to us. Michael has, he has thrush right now in his mouth. Right. 
and it brought back I a memory of mouth issues like yeah fatigue and like mouth issues are my two constants that i've had so many treatments they never leave now like, for about two years i've had cracks on my lips and my like blisters on my tongue and stuff and it's, yeah. yeah yeah but sometimes those are like just the little triggers too I mean, I see that with him. I know I'm the caregiver, but I see it. And there's triggers for me, too. Totally. Definitely. There's triggers for all like, of us. My mom's the same way. Don't like to admit it or so, but, like, if she could never go to her me- medical stuff, if she could do, like, outpatient stuff or not have to go inside the hospital, do something at a doctor's office, she's, like, spent way too much time there over the last eight years. Yeah. Oh, I know. So has your mom been the main one that when you've needed a person, has uh, she been mom- your person? My mom and uh, my grandma and my aunt were like the ones that were there. And they, my mom wasted pretty much, or not wasted, but used 10 years worth of uh, her paid days off, time Uh off and stuff. So she has like no vacation time now. And she's building it back up now that I haven't haven't been in the hospital in over a year for surgeries or anything. So she's building a little bit of it back up, but she was there every single day. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I would not be here without her. Me too. I would never learn to fill out the Medicaid, Medicare forms or disability, all that. I would be lost. Me too. We definitely understand that. Yeah. I mean, we just want to ask you like some final questions. Do you want some yeah. like... They're kind of fun questions. We, a few okay. fun ones and then a couple of serious ones. Yeah. Sounds good. So what's your favorite movie and why? Uh, favorite movie would be Return of the Jedi. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, yes. just... Because of the hope it gives at the end after. I'm big into that, and that's kind of what my meaning of like the whole Jedi and stuff is. is like good people, but it brings hope to you know a dark galaxy. I, I love that. I love that, too. I agree with you on that. <gasps> what about, do you have a favorite book? Uh, well, other, other than the, it's called The Fallen Star, which is where my droid is, is a Star Wars book. There's also a Star Wars book called Lost Stars, and it kind of tells a story of uh, best friends grew up on a planet. One went with the Empire, one went to the Rebel Alliance, and they're always like on the outside of the main storyline. Okay. It'll like tell you the main points you see in the movies, but then their story's like right outside the screen, and it follows them through everything. And that was one of the first books that I like. I'd read in a long time. Harry Potter was, you know, always a favorite, but that was like growing up. Yes. This was the first one to get me back into read. I wasn't going to ask this question, but um, and you don't have to answer. But have you been able to date or anything? I mean, I know oh, this has been something we've oh, talked yeah. about. And no, I'm a, I'm, I'm totally open to answering that. I'm able to, I guess, but just it's really hard because I do mm-hmm. live in such a small area, and everybody knows. Very first off is I'm the guy with cancer, and right. it's not going to end. That's been a lot on me. I don't ever want to put that on somebody I would want to date with because I'm like, my life can change in a scan in three months. And if I go back into that and I don't know how the next treatment's going to act, I would not be a good person. So I have to get over that hurdle in my mind. But then also it's just, it's hard in a town of a thousand people. If I go on like a date nap, it's like my high school yearbook. (laughs) uh, That's funny. But, uh, who knows in the future, hopefully, you know, maybe find somebody in there, but with your just... travels and the people that you meet and I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's... Cause you're so, you're so beautiful. That's, I don't know. I was just thinking that about you. You're such a beautiful human. Yeah. I felt that for Michael. He's seeing someone now and of course day by day. Yeah. Day by it, day. It is. That's, 
I've, I've learned not to judge my life on that part of it. It's hard. I am like the only one of my friends that isn't married with kids or something. So right. I get it day by day and just, you know, allowing the future to unfold. If you could have a magic wand. I, I would really like that. <laughs> I'm sure. What would you do? Uh, I mean, the obvious would be, you know, if you could cure people to do that and make them healthy. Yeah. yeah. But if not, I would, you know, just be able to transport myself wherever I wanted without the travel. <gasps> okay, I literally fun. said that with my daughter this morning. I'm not joking. It's in my phone in my text. I'm like, I wish I had a magic wand because she's in Vancouver and she's yeah. not cancer, but was feeling sick today. And I'm like, I wish I could teleport there. And yeah, that is so true. I hate driving. I hate riding in a car, even though I do sleep better when I'm traveling than I do not in my bed most of the time. Like I'm that guy that if I'm on a plane, I fall asleep before we even take off. It's just some of superpower. But I just I hate having to do it. So it's like if I'm like I gotta drive thirty minutes, that like ruins my whole day. So just yeah. Yeah, I feel you. Is your hospital far? You go to Duke, uh, is it far? Well I have my team at Duke, but I have my local teams in Asheville. So it's about okay. twenty five minutes. And uh most of the stuff with Duke is all through Zoom now. Asheville's Hospital and Duke, they're under the same umbrella, so they share all, everything, and it's right. just easier to Zoom call them going over scans and uh, blood work than me driving down there. That is an advantage now it's, with it's, virtual appointments. I feel yeah, you on that. One positive about the whole COVID lockdown is I don't, didn't have to make uh, three trips to Duke every year anymore. Now mm -hmm. it's all just sitting like this. That's actually true. What is your lasting message you want to leave us with and leave the audience with? If you could just give one last message. You never know when things are going to change. You live your life. And even if things are in the worst possible place, they can always get better tomorrow. I was down to my last option. It was clinical trial or I'm going to hospice. You know, if the clinical trial didn't work, it was hospice. And I was saying bye to everybody. And I know there's a lot of people where the things don't work out like that, but you never know if you're going to be the one where it does. And your life can change completely after that for the best. So just never give up hope. I know that sounds hallmarky in a way. No. No, but it's true. It's true. It needs to be said. And people need to hear it, especially when you're going through the bad days. Beautiful message. I love it that. It is a beautiful message. It reminded me of something that you also said. That, you know, you've been going through this for eight years and you've seen people in those eight years that have been through it and are all better now and have moved on. And then there's also people that have not made it. And you just you just have to keep going yeah, forward yes. and keep your hope. And I agree. Is there something you wish we'd asked you that we didn't ask you? Nah, y'all hit <laughs> great questions. Total, total spectrum of them, you know, the medical, the life, the fun stuff. It, it was great. All right. So this is like maybe a hard question, but usually we try to end with this one. If you knew that tomorrow, because you've been there, if mm. you knew tomorrow were your last day, Michael's been there, what would what would you do today if you knew? I would hope I'd be able to get all my best friends and all my family members. And instead of it being solemn, I would just, I'd want to throw a party. I'm, <laughs> I, I don't hide from it. I, I loved it to party when I was younger. I will never deny that. That is part of me and what made me the person I am today. I want people to, you know, celebrate, celebrate the life that I had. If you loved me, celebrate that. If you didn't really like me, hey, celebrate. I'm not going to be here tomorrow. <laughs> a win-win. And I just, you know, try to 
make people enjoy it as much as I could. Oh, you are a celebration. Yeah. Thank you so much for oh being on gosh. podcast. Oh, thank this y'all. was an amazing episode. JJ, you're just you're yeah, you're beautiful. Your social media, I'm, I'll put it, but why don't you tell us for the people that just listen and don't look? You know, I'm on Instagram is JJ five one four five, and Twitter is JJ Singleton one. Those are my main things. I am on TikTok too, but I cannot remember my username. That's okay. Search JJ Singleton, and I'll pop up. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Thank y'all for having me. It it really was great. Now meeting you is a joy in our life. And this is an official goodbye from your host, Michael and... And Ashley and JJ Singleton. Thank you. Thank Thank you. You are amazing.